Again, it's so good to be with you here this morning. City Street Baptist Church, I love you very much. And it's been a great joy to watch what the Lord is doing with just the church at large, just the, the baptisms and the children's programs and the choir, and just to see God's spirit, God's presence here in this house. It's just a joy to be a part of this. Uh, as we enter into uh, the reading of the Word today, we are still in the book of Jonah. If you're joining us for the first time, our series has been entitled, Lord Have Mercy. And we certainly need the Lord's mercy, amen? Well, we're, we are in now, I think, our sixth week, our fifth or sixth week, as we're now in the third chapter of Jonah. It is, it is a great story, and it is a true story of a Hebrew prophet who disobeyed the Lord, but also who got a second chance. And that's what we're going to talk about here today. The title of our message is A Second Chance and a First Impression. A Second Chance and a First Impression. So before we dive into the Word, I want to start off with something to think about, okay? Something to think about if you look in your listening guides. If you had a second chance to go back and redo anything in your life, what would it be and why? If you had a second chance, and I think we all could use... Not enough lines, Miss Joanna says. Not, not enough lines. Well, Miss Joanna, I'm going to make you feel better here in a second, okay? I did some research on famous men who certainly were looking for a second chance. So maybe you've heard of some of these and maybe you haven't. But uh, we all need a second chance, but especially these men. Let me start off by telling you a gentleman by the name of Thomas Andrews. You, may, you don't know him, probably, but you do know his work. Thomas Andrews was the architect who built the Titanic. And in 1911, he constructed a boat that he said was unsinkable. And he said it was unsinkable in such a way that he did not create a deck big enough to have enough lifeboats for all the people who were on board. And of course, we all know what happened with the Titanic. He was one of the few people that made it onto a lifeboat. And as the ship was sinking along with the, the crew members along with it, he was well aware that he needed a second chance that he did not get to rebuild that ship. Let me also tell you about a gentleman by the name of Dick Rowe. Okay, Dick Rowe in 1962 was an executive of Mecca Records. And he sat alongside New Year's Day, sat at a table with a bunch of gentlemen who claimed to be a musical group, he looked right at them and he said, your music is unsellable. And when he said that, the gentleman, otherwise known as the Beatles, got up and they found another record company to sign with. <laughs> Made a little mistake there. Sure, he wishes he had a second chance. Now this third one, Miss Joanna, this is going to make you feel much better, okay? I promise. This third one, this is Ouchie, okay? A gentleman by the name of Ron Wayne. Ron Wayne was the third and the silent founder of Apple Computers. Okay, everybody knows Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, the two Steves who started Apple Computers. Well, they had a third silent partner named Ron Wayne. And Ron Wayne found out that it was very difficult to work for Steve Jobs. He got frustrated. So in 1976, before they launched the Apple One computer, he got angry and he sold his share of the company for $800. If he had just kept those shares and did nothing else, he would have made $35 billion. B, billion. One decision cost him and his family $35 billion. I would say that Ron Wayne was looking for a second chance. But we don't have to be rich and we don't have to be famous. We don't have to be music executives or architects on a ship to say that we've lived life with a sinful nature. And we worship a holy God. 
And we're going to be judged by that holy God. And because of that, we live life knowing that we haven't done things right. And we're begging for a second chance. For some of us, it may be our jobs. For some of us, it may be our marriages, other relationships, our finances, the daily decisions that we're making. We are praying for a second chance. Praise God that we have a creator who is in the business of second chances. Amen? And as we will find out here in Jonah chapter 3, the prophet Jonah was in desperate need of a second chance. He found that chance in the belly of a fish that we talked about last week. And now he's having an opportunity to make good on his second chance. And that's exactly what he intends to do. So what's the big idea? Well, here's the big idea that I want us to get as we walk into Jonah chapter 3. Our God gives second chances to those who repent so he can restore them for his purpose and his glory. Again, our God gives second chances to those who repent so he can restore them for his purpose and his glory. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Jonah chapter 3 as we'll be in verses 1 through 5. I do want to say this. Eddie Jones is holding it up high and proud. By the graciousness of our church, we have pew Bibles. All right, the English Standard Version is what I typically preach from, and that's what you have in front of you. So if you have your own Bible, that's great, but if you don't, you can turn with us. On the pew, in the Pew Bible, it'll be page 921, 921 in your Pew Bibles, and by the recommendation of several, I got large prints, so everyone should, should be able to read God's Word today. All right, so if you would stand out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, and errant Word, we'll read it together, Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through Hear the word of the Lord starting in verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, again, we love you. And we praise you and we thank you for this beautiful day that you have made. Father, we confess that we are a sinful people who need second chances. And we praise you that you are a God who offers them for those who will repent and confess and believe. So Father, today as we consider the words of Jonah chapter 3, I pray our hearts and our minds would be prepared to receive this message and to respond to it in true repentance and true faith, seeking second chances and looking to make good on those second chances like our example here, the prophet Jonah. Be with us at this time, Father. I pray that these words would be anointed, that the honor and the glory would all be yours. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and God's people said, Amen. So Jonah gets a second chance. I I do want to say before we open up the text here in in verses 1 through 2, I do want to say that although God is a God of second chances, let me start the message by saying He doesn't promise us a second chance if we no longer have breath in our lungs. Each day that God gives us is a gift, and it's not promised to us. But as we are here on this earth, we can trust in the nature of the Lord that if we truly do confess that God will restore us and we will have an opportunity 
to make good on our vows to Him. And that's exactly what Jonah did. If you weren't here last week, right before the fish spits Jonah back out onto dry land, Jonah says, the vows I have made, I'll make good on those vows. If you'll only give me this second opportunity. And, and God says, okay, speaks to the fish. He gets catapulted out to dry land. And God's basically saying here, as we look at uh, chapter 3, verse 1, He's basically saying, all right, you made your vow. You got your chance. What are you going to do with it? And so as we look at verses 1 through 2, what I want us to see as we look at the text is this. The Lord's message is received. The Lord's message is received. Let's look back at verses 1 through 2. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. All right, let's stop right there and look at verse 1. Okay, the first part says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Right there we see inexpressible grace. It's unspeakable the type of grace that a holy God who gives a command to a prophet who is disobedient that he would get a second chance. But when you see those words the second time, you know that we have a God of grace. And God offers this grace to Jonah. And as we move further down into verse 2, we see something a little different than the first time he spoke to Jonah. In verse 2, we see it says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Now, here's what's different. The message that I tell you. All right, the message that I tell you. Why is that different? Well, in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, he says, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come um, come up before me. This time he just says, you go and you give the message that I tell you to give. In other words, God is saying, do what I told you to do. God, or Jonah cannot change God's purpose and he cannot change God's message. He is simply the messenger. He is called to go and to do. He disobeyed, but now he has a second chance and he looks to take full advantage of that second chance. And I think right here, once again, we've talked about this week after week. There is this, this, in the scriptures and in our lives today, we see that we worship a God who is loving and who is holy. And for some reason, as a society, especially here in the 21st century, we want to bifurcate. We want to separate those things. We want to say either that God is a God of love or that God is a God of holiness, but we don't accept them on both terms. Here we see the love of God, but we also see the holiness of God. The love of God offers Jonah a second chance. The holiness of God says, you're going to do what I tell you to do. And again, We talked again about the holiness and fear of God versus the love and the grace of God. They are not mutually exclusive terms. God is equally love and holy. God is equal grace and we should equally fear Him as much as we love Him because He is great and mighty and worthy to be praised and worthy to be obeyed. So Jonah gets a second chance. God offers it because of His love and He commands it because of His holiness. So number one, we see that the Lord's message is received. But number two, I want us to see that uh, the Lord's message is relayed. Verses 3 through 4. The Lord's message is relayed. Verses 3 through 4 say this. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 
Now, I, this, is, I guess, is my creative mind from time to time as I read the Scriptures. I, I picture the uh, characters certain ways, and I actually, I actually picture them saying things in certain tones. I picture Jonah responding to this like Forrest Gump, just saying, I'll do whatever you tell me to do, drill sergeant. I mean, he's ready to go. He's, he, whatever you tell me to do, I'm doing. I've been in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I've, I, I know exactly what you've called me to do. You're giving me a second chance. And finally, Jonah is wasting no time. He's taking full advantage of it. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, we know the end of the story that Jonah still has some more repenting to do. His heart has not fully changed. But it has changed enough that he's willing to finally obey. He knows that he can't outrun God. He figured that out in the belly of the fish. He knows that he would have drowned without the grace of God by providing the fish. Now he's ready to go out and do the Lord's work. Now I want to draw our attention to something, and I want to make personal application here for all of us, okay? Here in, in verse number, I believe it's in verse number three, uh, it's after it says, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, Listen to these words, according to the word of the Lord. Now, where does this apply to us? Can I tell you something, a pattern that's taken place here in the last 20 or 30 years that's troubling to me? Do you know, research states that one of the most popular songs sang at people's funerals in the last 30 years is a song by one of my favorite singers of all time, Frank Sinatra. And the song is My Way. I did it my way. I've heard that. Now, granted, I'm Italian. I'm from Philadelphia. Frank Sinatra's played at a lot of our funerals. I'm going to be honest. All right? Sinatra is to me what Elvis is to most of you. Okay? However, I pray that that is not even a consideration when it is that God calls me home. Because if I stand before a holy God and say that I did it my way, then I have failed. Let our lives be an echo of this verse, that he or she lived according to the word of the Lord. That my life and your life bears that we were loyal and obedient to what it is that God called us to do. That our life was not our own. That we had a purpose that we were called to. Our creator gave us that purpose. He equipped us to fulfill that purpose and we were obedient to him and we fulfilled it. So that when we stand before God, we don't say to him, I did it my way. He says to us, well done, thy good and faithful servant. There are no other words that I hope to hear after I've taken my final breath. There are no other words. And again, we're not perfect. Every moment of our lives probably, I mean, obviously we cannot say has been done according to to the word of the Lord. But I pray that our lives, as we step back and get a big picture of where we've gone and what we've done, that we could look back and say, yes, the scope of my life has been pointed in the direction of God's word. And if that's not your life, today's a great day for a second chance. And if that is your life, then this is an encouragement to keep moving in that direction because rewards lie ahead for those who are faithful, for those who are faithful. So as we move on to verse number four, it says, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So what is it that we need to know about verse four? Well, it says the city was exceedingly great, a three days journey in breath. 
As I have researched this, there are scholars who disagree on exactly what this means, but here's generally speaking what I think we can say about the city of Nineveh because it's really important to the passage here. We know it's a big, pa- a big city in size. Okay? Historians believe that it was 1,850 acres, which that's a big city before the Industrial Revolution. All right? That's a pretty big city of civilization in that time. But not only that, it was an important city in such a way that it would have taken Jonah three days to typically do his business. Because in a big city, in biblical times, the first day as you journey to the city, you've got to follow protocol. You've got to meet with the right officials. You've got to state your purpose. Day two would basically be a day where you get your business done. And then day three is when you'd wrap it up and have equally authoritative protocol on your way out the door. Okay, think about if you wanted to visit the president. You wouldn't just pull up on Pennsylvania Avenue to the White House, get out of your car and walk right up to the gate. If for some reason you got an extravagant invitation to see the president, you'd have to go through a lot of protocol to get FaceTime with him. All right, it's the same thing with Nineveh. This is a great city. Not great in terms of their righteousness. We know that's the exact opposite, but great in terms of their size and in terms of their power at this particular time. So that makes it even more amazing that as we say it's a three days journey, that the first day of the journey is underway and already Jonah is preaching and they're responding. And what is it that Jonah says? Pretty simple. He says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. It's a pretty simple message. But they have a pretty profound response to it as we'll see here in a second. But it's amazing. Isn't the message of the gospel pretty simple too? As believers in Jesus Christ, we do not teach a very complicated message. But things do not have to be complicated to be powerful. And as we'll see here at the very end of the passage, what I want us to see in number three is this. The Lord's message is revered. The Lord's message is revered. Look how they respond in verse 5. It says, And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. How did this happen? These people who are so unrighteous, they lived in filth and in sin. They were the sworn enemies of the Israelites. And yet, here a prophet comes walking down the street. He screams a few words and the entire city goes crazy. Well, I think, I think we need to admit a few things here. First of all, the people recognized that Jonah was a Hebrew prophet. They didn't know he, was, he wasn't just some Joe Schmo walking down the street. He was commissioned by someone to go and preach this message. But number two, they believed the God who sent him. They believed, more importantly, the God who sent him was real and he was to be worshipped. And his warning was not to be taken lightly. Not to be taken lightly. We know that for them to respond to this message the way that they did, that God would have had to go before Jonah and prepare their hearts and their minds to receive it. As it says in Ezekiel, he removes hearts of stone and he replaces them with hearts of flesh. And that's an act of God. Only God can do that. Now we as human beings have a responsibility to preach the message. And for those listening, we have a responsibility to respond to the message in repentance and faith. But it is God who does the work. It is God who always does the work. And can I share with you a story in history on this side of eternity, with, uh, on this side of the New Testament in, in Christianity? This story blesses my heart every time that I read it because it gives me encouragement that one day maybe I'll get to witness this kind of power. So one of my favorite preachers, Uh, A gentleman by the name of Charles Spurgeon, known as the Prince of Preachers, lived in England in the late 1800s. Some of you have probably heard of him. 
Uh, he has probably more sermons published than any other preacher in history. I mean, you could build a whole library just on his sermons alone. He was a great speaker, a great man of God, a great theologian. But his greatness came in trusting in the power of God. And I want to read a short story from his biography. This is amazing, okay? This, this is proof that God does not need our ability. He simply needs our obedience. So as he tells the story, all right, here's what he says. In 1857, a day or two before I was supposed to preach at the Crystal Palace, I went to decide where the platform should be fixed. And in order to test the acoustic properties of the building, I cried out in a loud voice, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. In one of the galleries, a workman who knew nothing of what was being done heard the words, and they came like a message from heaven to his soul. He was smitten with conviction on account of sin, put down his tools, went home, and there, after a season of spiritual struggle, found peace and life by beholding the Lamb of God. Amazing! He wasn't even preaching! It was two days before he was called to preach, and and Charles Spurgeon is literally standing on the platform doing a sound check. There was no microphones back then, so he was literally standing and screaming so that he could hear the echoes and figure out where the platform had to be put. And he, all he said was, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And one of the workmen in the galley, or the gallery was so convicted by those words, he repented and received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Now when we see that, we have a tendency to say, Man, Charles Spurgeon, amazing. What an amazing preacher that people would respond to a sound check. What we forget It's not Charles Spurgeon who was amazing. It's God who's amazing. And Charles Spurgeon received the power simply because he trusted in God. Jonah went not because he had special powers, but because he was called by a special God. God had already gone before him, and he'd already prepared them to receive this message. But the message still had to be preached. And I guarantee you that if Jonah didn't preach it, God would have found somebody else who would. And that speaks to me, and it should speak to all of us. God has called everybody in this room to a very special role in his ministry. I don't know what that role is for you. Okay, maybe it's singing in the choir. Maybe it's serving on a committee. Maybe it's teaching a Sunday school class. Maybe it's joining me behind the pulpit. There are some God God is raising up in here to preach the word. All right, I don't know what God is calling you to do, but what I do know is this. God doesn't necessarily need you. But God has chosen to use you if you'll be obedient to Him. And if you would surrender your heart to God and be used of God in the service of the ministry, you'll see things like this happen. You'll see things like this happen because we trust in a good God. It's not our ability, it's our obedience that makes the difference. So, before we get towards our conclusion, let me just say, how did the Ninevites respond? They put on sackcloth and ashes and they also fasted. All right, I think it's pretty easy to say the fasting was a sign of desperation. They're pleading for God's mercy. And the sackcloth was a sign of mourning that they knew the rebellion was going to be dealt with. All right, they knew something was going to happen and they took it seriously. They responded immediately to this message. And let me say this. I know as we look further into history that the Ninevites are a nation that eventually is overthrown Their sin finally gets the best of them and God does destroy this wicked nation. But can I say this also? In this particular season, we'll see more of this next week, 
God is gracious to them and restores them. And you know, you know what that says to me? Do you ever feel this way? We say that God is sovereignly in control of all things. So God is past, present, and future all at the same time. And so sometimes we think God is so big, and since God already knows the end anyway, then how can God be so intimately involved in each and every single moment with us? But this is yet another story that proves that even though God knows the end of the story, he still mourns and rejoices in each and every single moment. I mean, think about the shortest passage in the whole Bible, those two words, Jesus wept. Do you know when Jesus wept? Jesus wept at the death of Lazarus because his loved ones were mourning. But it was moments after that that, that verse, Jesus wept, that Jesus brought Lazarus back from the dead. So why would Jesus cry when he knew moments later he'd bring him back? Because God is intimately involved in each and every single one of our moments, past, present, future. That's an amazing and mysterious truth of our faith, that God knows the beginning from the end, and yet he's involved in our lives. He loves us. He is with us. We need only to listen and only to obey. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that we serve. So, as we draw this message to a close, let's sum it all up. All right, summing it all up, we can say that God's calling demands obedience, that God's grace through Jesus Christ offers sinners a second chance to obey. So, what will you do with your second chance today? What will you do with your second chance today? All right, I'm speaking to everybody in this church, myself included. Let me start with those who are professing Christians. You may have already placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So your second chance is not, not so much a, a second chance for salvation. That's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. But maybe your second chance is a second chance to obey. Maybe there's something in your life right now that God has either called you to do or not do. And you're either not doing what you should do or you're doing what you know you shouldn't. And just like the holy God preaches to the Ninevites and says to them, you're going to be overthrown. There's consequences for your sin. God says the same thing to us. And he's saying it to you in the pew right now. Is there something in your life that you know you should be doing and you're not doing it? Today, today's your second chance. Or maybe there's something you are doing and you need to stop. You know it doesn't honor God. And there's going to be consequences. God, in His grace, is offering it to you right now, an opportunity to respond with a second chance. Now let me speak to those who may be visiting us who've never placed their saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the greatest of all second chances. And again, it's only promised to you as long as you still have breath in your lungs. But we don't know how much breath we have left. This is the gospel, the good news. All right, that God, who is loving and holy, created human beings in his image to be loving and holy. Unfortunately, we sinned and disobeyed God, and that sin tainted our ability to love and to be holy. And we would have died in that sin and been cast away from God forever. But then Jesus Christ comes, fully God fully man, and he lives perfectly and wholly for 33 years, restoring that love, restoring that holiness, that whoever would place their faith in him, Jesus would do two things on the cross. He would take on the punishment that you deserved, and he'd give you the righteousness that he earned. And he calls you to respond to that good news in repentance and faith.
That is your second chance. And I pray that you take that second chance here today. I pray that you take that second chance here today. Before we pray, all of us in this room have a takeaway from this message. So what are our takeaways? All right, first, recognize that your life and purpose are defined by God. God has a purpose for your life. You should rejoice. But God knows the purpose. And the purpose will be fulfilled if you'll be obedient. All right? Second, admit where you have disobeyed God's call and repent. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We need to know where it is we've fallen short. Be specific in our confession and in our prayers and ask for God's help in His restoration. And then finally, receive God's grace through Christ and resolve to trust Him and obey Him. He is a God of second chances. And He is a God to be obeyed. Let us rejoice in His love and His holiness together and take advantage of the second chances that He's given us this very hour. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, again, we love You. And we thank You and praise You for this day. Father, we are so grateful that You are a God of second chances. And Father, we, we just praise You because Your grace is unprecedented. Your mercy, unbelievable. But your holiness, something not to be trifled with. And so, Father, I pray a, a blessing upon everyone in this room who can, who can hear the sound of my voice. For those that do know the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would consider areas of their life where they've been disobedient and take this second chance to be faithful. For those that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, they've heard the gospel preached, that they would respond to it this very moment in repentance and faith, trusting in the Lord and seeking to serve Him for the rest of their life. Father, open up our hearts and minds to receive this message and to respond to it in faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.